Tis the season for all things that take a hunk out of the old bank account. I mean, the credit card bills are coming in from Christmas time. Feed and hay bills are never ending this time of year. And tax season is quickly approaching, which makes me want to duck my head and turn the other way slowly, like things aren't happening. I'll say it, taxes suck, but I don't care to go to jail for not paying them at the same time. Accounting ain't my strong suit either. So after a few conversations with some people that are way smarter than me, I realized how scared people are to talk about money. It's crazy. Equine accounting and taxes is something that not many of us are well versed in. Words like sole proprietorship, LLC, Schedule A and C, deductions and audits. Ugh. I've always felt like this is just a really gray, blurry area. Something that I really don't want to get that educated in. So after talking with Charlotte Overton with JC Bits in my last episode, we both decided that the equine industry needed a little help on the subject. From my newly cleaned out recording closet, I'm Amy Davenport, and this is the Barrel Horse Life Podcast. Today's episode, Charlotte Overton with JC Bookkeeping and Tax Services. Right after the break. This podcast is brought to you by WOCO, a weight loss and performance training program for Western women designed to help you reach your goals inside and outside of the arena. To find out if you are a good fit for the program, go to woco.com. When I went through Jamie's program myself, I gained way more than I bargained for. In our first session together, she asked me, what's your goal? I said back, I just want to fit back into my gosh dang pants again. And that's no joke. Not only can I fit back into those pants, but I had to go buy all new ones because they're all too big. Yes. Jamie taught me that my body needs carbs, which I love. And I need to listen to my hunger cues and be prepared to feed them. And always have an emergency dinner in the freezer for those long days when you fail at life and you don't want to fail at dinner. Jamie's a registered dietitian and an accomplished 1D barrel racer, so she totally gets it. Go to woco.com and use code Amy10, that's W-H-O-A-A-C-O.com and use my code for any service. Hey guys, it's Amy. I want to tell you a little something. If you're listening to this podcast, I'm assuming you have horses. Maybe not barrel racing horses. You might just have the backyard pet. But either way, they're our best friends. And performance horses are athletes, and we ask a lot of them. Draw It Out is an all-natural topical liniment that removes heat, inflammation, and soreness anywhere on your horse's body. You can put it under wraps, saddle pads, even blankets. I mean, there's nothing on the market that's like this. It's completely safe, 100% natural, and it's super convenient to use. I keep it in the barn, in the trailer. Heck, I even keep it in the house. Their deep penetrating formula is completely sensation free. So it goes on your horses gently with zero heating, zero cooling, and no tingling effects. 
You guys, that means there's no burns and no blistering with this products on our best friends. That's huge. I never leave home without their concentrate spray and gel. And in the summertime, their Citroquin bug spray is the real deal. It actually works. Their new master mud poultice and ice bath are essential when competing and hauling down the road. Truly, keeping down as much inflammation as possible is key to the 1D. Click your way on over to LonePrairiePHS.com, that's LonePrairiePHS.com, and enter code AMY10 in the checkout. Let's keep our animals competing at the top of their game. Charlotte, thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to jump right in because I got a lot of questions and we're going to cram it all into this little podcast. So starting off, I've had a lot of people ask the same question over and over. Can I ride my horses off of my taxes? And I know that's kind of a general question, but it's a big question um, depending on, I know we talked a little bit ago in a conversation before I hit to hit record. So now we're good to go. So you know, depending on who you are, are you a club? Are you a business? Are you an individual? Um, are you a farrier or a vet? There's lots of different situations that we could cover in this podcast. And I know we're trying to kind of keep things um, basic. We're not trying to go down too many rabbit holes. We're just trying to get everybody informed um, and let everybody know basic information on this. So with that being said, I'm going to use me for an example, just to keep it simple. So like I said, one of the biggest questions is people want to know, hey, I have horses and I'm like, I'm the weekend barrel racer. I have a full-time job. Can I ride my horses off of my taxes? Is that something that's doable? For instance, you'll have people who are W-2, they go to work, they come home, they've got a few horses, they go barrels or they rope or whatever, and they want to claim that as a business. Well, that's really, if you've got a couple horses and you're just doing and having fun, you really shouldn't be claiming that because if you get audited, you're probably going to get nailed to the floor. Mm-hmm. You need to have a, you know, and then you have people like me who are running businesses. We have horses. I train horses. But I don't train, and when I train for the public, yes, I could do all of those expenses. But now things have changed, and now I don't train for the public anymore. All I do is go run barrels, and I might have one or two horses that I train. So in order to make up for that and still be able to count my horses, I went and bought some broodmares because now I will breed those broodmares. I have three. I will breed them. And I will probably sell two of those three colts mm-hmm. in order to make a profit. And so when the IRS looks at that, that's those are the things. They take the whole deal in the circumstances. Your record keeping, what your intent is, and, and why do you continue to do it. And that's how they do that. And, you, and really and truly... You do not need to go if you get nailed or if you get audited or they select you as an audit. And there's no red flags. I mean, yes, there are red flags. Like if you have one horse on your depreciation schedule and you're trying to claim $50,000 loss, that's a red flag. And yes, probably they will question that if they get to looking at it. And it's probably going to get nabbed. And I don't care the CPA that or a rolled agent or tax preparer. Um, who's doing it, 
is going to probably not be able to support that. And, and that's what you have to have. You've got to have somebody that looks at it and can support it. It needs to be consistent. The record keeping needs to be clean cut. You need to have your own farm account. Do not run it through your personal stuff. Um, like me, I set my horses and the horse business up in a partnership with me and my fiance. So, and that right there even gives it more legs and feet to stand on because I have gone the extra mile and set it up as a company. And so when I file that partnership tax return, I now have K-1s that come off of it. And the IRS looks at that as I am actually trying to run a business. That makes sense. Yeah. So there's a lot of, this is what people don't understand about taxes related to livestock, is there's a lot of situations, and each person's situation is different. So because you know Joe Blow down the street, and he has team roping horses, and he tells you he files his taxes, and he gets all these write-offs, the thing about it is, is Joe Blow may not be doing it the right way. You can file it any way you want to. But when they audit you, and they can within three years, if it's um, a non-frivolous or fraudulent return, someone like that, they got to be real careful because they could say that was a tax avoidance or evasion, and then it becomes unlimited. And the IRS can then audit any year they please. They're not limited to that three years. So you got to be very careful about who you get to do your taxes. Do they know what they're doing? Do they understand the livestock business? I mean, taking them down to H&R Block is not a good idea. Um, <laughs> you need to have somebody that you're in contact with that gives you good customer service, that understands what you're doing, that can support it, will be there if you ever were to get audited and support you. So that's the things that people don't understand about taxes. And most people are scared to death about taxes. I mean, like, you know, my ex-husband, I'll never forget this. We first gotten married, and he was so terrified of the IRS that they sent a letter to our house. And, and I was still at work, and he literally fretted so much about that letter. He didn't open it, right? And when he got home, he was in such a tizzy. And what it was about, when I opened it up, I laughed. And, I, and I'd had a, I was, my first job was a big accounting firm. They were the oldest firm in Texas. And it was very formal. I mean, you had to wear skirts and, you know, the leg, leg, you know, yeah. pant, you know, pantsuits and stuff like that and heels and stuff. So I'd gotten home and, and I opened it up. And what it was about was the fact that I had filed under my married name, but I hadn't changed my Social Security card. And my name didn't match my Social Security card. And I got to laughing so hard. And he's like, are we going to jail? <laughs> and I'm like, no, you're not. And I mean, he had fretted all afternoon. That's how terrified he was of the IRS. <laughs> so, and, and that's always a funny story that I like to share. They're not going to take you over to jail just for not changing your name properly. No, they just no. want to make sure they got the right person. So when you so get okay. an IRS letter, mainly open it, read it first, send it to your tax person. Don't have a heart attack right there and fret over it. Like we're all going to go to jail. Right. So, and yeah. it, it is intimidating. As soon as you get that letter, oh, man, I'm at the mailbox every time going, oh, shit, I don't know what I'm going to yes. do. And it's always like something very simple, very small, thank God. But there's always that chance of being audited. and Everybody's afraid of it. It's 
it, yes. it is a thing to be yes. scared of. Yeah. Well, the thing about it is, you know, if you take your te- taxes down to the local H&R block, you have no one to back you up during the year. You're going to have to then, if you do get a letter saying we are auditing you, you have to go to a tax professional, a CPA, and a tax attorney. Uh, those are the only three professionals that are have licenses to represent you in front of the IRS. That's your next course of action. Um, it's not just a CPA. You can be in an enrolled agent, which I'm doing that right taxes and bookkeeping. And uh, I don't care anything about auditing or doing financial reporting. And the enrolled agent has the same abilities to represent people in front of the IRS as a CPA, as a tax accountant, a tax attorney. A tax attorney then can, if you if you appeal that decision and you don't like what the IRS says, then they can represent you in the U.S. tax court or district court or whatever you need to go to the next level. Uh, and so a CPA or an enrolled agent can't do that anyway. So you have to have a tax attorney to move to that next step. You're already making me nervous just talking CPAs and tax accountants and oh this this stuff makes my butt pucker. <laughs> it doesn't. But it, it can, I feel like it's a really great area when you start combining the equine industry, um, even just the Western industry, whether that be cattle, farming, any of that kind of stuff with tax accountants and even IRS. It's just not a very commonly talked about thing. Um, it's just kind of a gray area, I feel like. There's a lot of gray areas. And, uh, and livestock is one of them. Horses is definitely one of them. Yeah, oh, for sure. For sure. Yes. I mean, it, it can be a very gray area. You know, I've talked to accountants and CPAs who literally, they, they view us, they view us as like trying to do something shady. <laughs> I mean, like I have talked to him. They literally, he goes, well, you know, what do you do about those rodeo people? You know, and I'm like, well, I help them. That's what I do. And and he said, well, you know, and he, he viewed it, this one attorney, and he's here locally where I am now. I mean, not attorney, but CPA. He viewed it as a dirty profession. And really and truly, it made me kind of mad because rodeo people and horse people are not a dirty profession. We're trying to run a business just like anyone else. And just like I said, if you're if you're just trying and you've only got two or three horses and you're just going to local barrel races, local team ropings, and you're just really doing that to have fun, you really should not be claiming those horse expenses. No. If you're a horse trainer or a horse breeder or someone like that, then yes, you are considered a business. And the way that the IRS and the way that I, when I talk to my clients is this way, they're selling horses. These people who are roping and running barrels, they may not be trainers, but they're taking a few horses and they're selling them every year. They're not. So they're, they're making a profit. It's just in a different way. Uh, it gets reported on a different schedule, but it's considered making a profit when you sell a horse or two every year. And my clients that I have now, that's what they do. And I have a lot of fraternity barrel horse trainers. I have a lot of people who are weekend warriors, but the difference between them and just the people that have their two or three gildens or whatever that they run every single year is those people are selling and turning horses or they're breeding and raising babies, training them up and selling them. So there, there is a difference on how you 
uh, view this. And, it, and it's just what, what we base it on and what I've come to and all the previous accountants and CPAs that I've worked for, and I've worked for some big, big CPAs, is the dairies and the ranchers and farmers, they do the same thing. Is it more your intent? So me, I'm going to use myself as an example. Like uh, my intent is I want to be the weekend warrior. I have two and a half horses and I, the weekend warrior, I go out on the weekends. I have fun. I don't do this. I do not do it for profit. And that is my, my intention is non, non for profit because I don't do anything for profit. At what point do you need to turn that over into a money-making company or business? Well, you, you you want to be able to show that you're trying to make a profit, meaning that you either need to do one or two things. You either need to be providing services to people okay. that um, like lessons or something like that where you're showing that part where you're making money or you need to be selling a couple of horses or you need to be raising and breeding and selling those. You need to you need to try to figure out a motive to make money some way in your in your side business. It's just like if you were to start a home clothing or an online boutique, something like that, you need to be selling stuff. You may not your bottom line at the end may not be black, but you need to be showing where you're getting income some way somehow. You can't just be writing off 25 Fifty, ten thousand dollars every single year. They're just not going to allow that. Mm-hmm. And once they start auditing you and they start looking back on stuff, yeah, they 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 can be in pretty intent. Yeah. You know, it depends on what kind of you know agent you get. But yes, I mean, you need to be, and your bookkeeping records need to be clean. You don't need to be running it through your personal accounts. You need to have its own account. If you don't want to start a business and go as far as what I had talked about in the past about starting a, a, a partnership or something like that, you can go just get an EIN number on a sole proprietorship, and that, that EIN number is an employment identification number. You fill in an SS4 with the IRS, and you, build, you go start a bank account, uh, a business account, um, under that name and you run all of your horse expenses through that but you know there's a lot of ways that you can show that you're trying to turn a profit like you know buying and selling tack or buying and selling you know or, or conducting lessons or, or buying and selling some something yeah. there's a lot of ways that you can run through that you yeah. know contract labor you know something like that that can make you look legitimate in this business yeah help helping hauling horses there's a lot yes yeah. yes some sort of some way that we want to turn a profit and then your record keeping where you have your bank statements how what kind of ent- entity you are whether it's a sole proprietor with a different bank you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. yeah People, they deduct it all the time, but if they were to ever get audited, it would be hard to defend that. And and it's up to the enrolled agent or the CPA whether they decide they want to take that on. And that's why people get told no when they go to their particular tax accountant because they can't justify that or don't know how to or don't know how to advise their clients to get it where it's a legitimate business that they can write off. Mm-hmm. That would be why every time I go to the farm store, they say, is this, is this a farm account? 
No. Right. Is this ag exempt? Yeah. And, and a lot of people have ag exempt and you don't even have to write it off as a, a business. It's just ag exempt for the tax and stuff like that. Okay, really quick. I want to jump backwards in the conversation. I got a little bit of squirrel brain and I wrote it down and I was going to ask you a minute ago and then forgot about it. So um, a little bit ago, you mentioned something about taxes and sales and online. And that's something that I personally have a couple questions on because I have been selling some mer- starting to sell merchandise online. I haven't yet. Nothing's live. But I started a small website called the Barrel Horse Life Store. Um, I've had a lot of people that have reached out saying, hey, I want a podcast t-shirt and some merchandise. And um, I was homesick with COVID for a week. We've been snowed in a couple times and I've had enough time off that I'm like, you know what? I'm going to start this up. You can learn anything on YouTube. I have a great tax guy who is almost literally held my hand through this whole process. So next thing you know, the Barrel Horse Life store is born. So it is not completely ready to go yet. So it's still kind of hidden and under wraps. And I know a lot of my listeners kind of got a sneak peek recently, but um, it's almost ready to go. But one thing that I've been struggling with is the taxes. The taxes in different states is completely screwy. What we, what Illinois charges and the whole nexus thing, I mean, like when I heard the word nexus, my brain went, I was just blown. So I watched a lot of YouTube videos or read a lot about it online. Um, the Shopify website works really good. But I was completely shocked how just one state over in, in in Indiana is completely different. And I'm sure down there in Texas is how you guys do it is different. But the, the taxes and states and sales tax and what you can claim and not claim and Oh my gosh, it is just I, just, I was just really shocked how it's different from state to state. It is, it is. And, and when you get into your LLCs and your S-Corps and your corporations and stuff like that, you need, you need a good, well, well, first of all, what you need is a good tax preparer that knows the law. And then if you get into your S-Corps and your corporations, um, you can, you need a good t- attorney. Um, I have both of those in my corner. Of course, I am a tax accountant. I've been doing it for about 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a degree in finance. But um, And I was taking my CPA exam, but I've been out of school so long that retention on all that information. Oh, and, yeah. you know, I passed the tax part of it just with flying colors. It was the auditing and the financial reporting that I had so much trouble sure. and trying to run two businesses and do all that. So that's why I switched to the enrolled agent because it was only based on tax law. That part of it was, and you can do the same thing in front of the IRS, but you need to have someone that's well-versed in entities, how it's set up, you know, if you get into your S corporation, I have a lot of people who use that as tax planning because they have small businesses like I do and they need to know, they don't really understand it, but it helps them put more money back in their pocket, not necessarily save money and not have to pay the government. It just puts more money back in your pocket. That's what I tell people. Cause I made the, made the, uh, pro- I made the mistake one time telling somebody it would save them money and they really thought that, but I mean, they still have to pay your self-employment taxes. You still have to do everything like that but you can put more money back in a retirement account the company can write it off there's a lot of things that are different each step of each step up from the entity i mean your most basic is the sole proprietorship you do not have to have an employment identification number to have a sole proprietorship but it is your most basic it's easy to form you can start bank accounts in it 
you can do a DBA, you can do whatever. You can run employment out of it. You can do all the things that, like that. You don't have the protection of the limited liability company, so your personal assets are not separate from it. So the things there's some things that you can't do and deduct, like paying yourself or or and all that. Um, you can still do a, a self-employment retirement, which is an SEP, and you can deduct that. There's a lot of things you can do with a sole proprietorship. And then you move to your partnerships, which, you know, you can have a husband-wife, and you can make it a partnership where it files a 1065, like me and Jason did for our horses. And it has its own separate bank account. It files its own separate tax return. The tax return has what it calls K-1s that come off of it, and that's filed to my my personal and his personal return. Those are real easy to set up. A general partnership doesn't require you to, to file it with the state. You do have to have an employment identification number for it. You have to have a partnership agreement, which is very easy. You can do that yourself on LegalZoom. Um, then you move into your corporations with your S-Corp and your C-Corp and stuff like that. Now, you do have to have an attorney to help you set that up because there's several things that you have to do. You have to get registered with the state of Texas or wherever you're located. You have to have articles of organization. Um, you have to have all kinds of documents. Uh, I use a lady in Stephenville, Clement. She understands the horses because she does team roping and she's an attorney there at law and she will form all the companies that we need her to. Um, that's who I refer all my clients to. There's a lot of different things why a person would do a sub S or a corporation. And it's just on to each individual, what they're trying to do. Let's kind of, I want to kind of go back and start at the beginning for some sure. people that may <laughs> be <laughs> kind of confused. We kind of like, started in the middle and moved out, didn't right, we? <laughs> right. That's, that's totally fine. But I want to yeah. pretend that I... so. Hi, Charlotte. My name is Amy Davenport. I have some horses and I would like to start my business. Um, I'm going to pretend that I am selling tack and wanting to start breeding one broodmare. What would would be the best way for me to start my business and turn it into an income producing thing and start my taxes and income? Well, the the most cheapest thing or the most effective is start out with the sole proprietorship. What I would do and tell you to do is, and I can help I can help people with this, is you fill out what they call an SS four on the IRS website. You get an EIN number, um, which is an employment identification number. You go down and you start your own bank account in that account, and everything out of that business, your tax business and your horse breeding operation, goes through that account. Um, you run stuff through there. And I, I tell people QuickBooks Online is probably the best one because you can link your bank accounts up. Um, they do make a, a desktop version if people are afraid of having their stuff online. I, most of my clients are online, and QuickBooks is real good about protecting stuff. I haven't had any issues with them. Uh, you can link the bank account. If you understand bookkeeping and accounting, uh, QuickBooks can help you code the different things to the different expense accounts. If you don't, you probably need someone to kind of help you do that. Um, You can also summarize it, you know, through your bank statements on a piece of paper on Excel. Excel is a real good tool for that. What I tell people is just put an income column and then all your stuff, your horseshoeing, your breeding fees, your, you know, tack expenses, um, um, 
whatever else that you have, your repairs and maintenance. Um, now, when it comes to your vehicles, you can only do one or two things. It's a percentage of the business use, and it has to be over 50%. You can either do mileage or you can't do both, or you can do actual expenses. So say you go buy a new truck and you use it for that business, say, 75%. It's called listed property, and you have to. You can only take seventy five percent of those actual expenses. And what I mean by fuel, uh, repairs and maintenance, which means tires, oil changes, um, and all that. Or you can do the standard mileage rate. And what what I have my clients do is set up a mileage log, where they've been, where they're going, and this is trips to town, to the feed store, to get office supplies, you know, to events, from events, all that. Those are miles that you can count. Um, and they have these apps now that do really good that you can use that app real quick to help you through the year because that's what the IRS is going to look at. If they audit you, they're going to look at those mileage logs. And there's an app for everything. They're going to want to know where you've been, how you've been. And, and they have really wonderful apps that track that. So, you know, and, and it's an estimate, but I tell people, you know, you need to go ahead and do that mileage log because – you know, we have horse trainers that go every single, they go three or four or six days a week to jackpots. And, and they track their mileage through mileage logs. I, I, I ask them to do that. That way, if they ever, if I need those, I can have them. You total those up at the end of the year. You send me all your stuff, including all your tax documents, 1099s. And speaking of that, we'll back up and go to 1099s. This is something else. If you are a business like this, you do have to send 1099s. If you don't, the IRS could not let you take those expenses, and they will fine you, which is $540 per 1099 that you didn't send. So, and this is talking anybody that does services, repairs and maintenance people. This means your horseshoers. This means, and I'm probably going to get killed by horseshoers because they don't like to get 1099s. Anybody that builds anything for you, um, any any veterinarian, you have to send them unless unless they're a corporation. Now that doesn't mean I have a lot of people that get confused. They're like, well, he's an LLC. That don't matter. The LLC, all it means is that you're protected against someone suing that company, and they can't get your deals. What it mean, What you need to know is this: Okay, are they an S corp or are they a C corp? Because if they're a C corp, they do not need a 1099. If they're an S corp, they have to get a 1099. So these are some things that you need to know. Um, and there's forms that you have to fill out that has to be sent in, and they're they're due on January 31st of the next year. And like I said, those 1099s are very important. If you have somebody that works for you that does contract labor, they have to get a 1099. And it's very important that you send those 1099s because there is a question on the tax return that asks, did you have anyone that you need to send 1099 to? And you have to answer yes or no. You have to answer or won't e-file. And if you did, did you send them the 1099s like you were supposed to? And you have to answer that or it won't e-file either. So then you send all of your expenses and stuff and um, tax return. They put it on the tax return and off you go to the next year. <laughs> Make it sound so damn easy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Click, click, boom. Well, you know, yeah. tax re- tax preparation, it's really, I mean, people go, well, you must like numbers. Actually, no. I couldn't add two and two together if I wanted to in my head. There's a reason why I have a calculator sitting on my desk. Mm-hmm. It's all about 
you knowing what boxes to put it in that benefits the the uh, tax client that that is not illegal. That that's what that's what tax return preparation is. It's benefiting the client to know what deductions they can take and what deductions they can't take that keeps them legal. Yeah. Now I have my little small business. I'm ready to sell uh-huh. my tack and I have my broodmare, <clears throat> whatever uh-huh. else things I plan on doing to make my income. So right. what would be the next step as far as becoming like LLC or, or a company? What would be okay. the best thing for someone just getting started to take that next step of doing that? Well, if you wanted to, and here's what I tell people who want, who need to be and you can be an LLC and still be a sole proprietor. You can get that limited liability protection, but you have to go to a tax attorney to an attorney to file the articles and get them registered with the state. Because once you become a single member LLC, if you're still a sole proprietor, and that's fine, it's not a problem. And then your personal assets get protected. So anything you own personally cannot be touched if someone sues you, you or you know, you get a default stirrup or something like that. Somebody falls off and breaks their arm. I'm just saying, for instance, mm-hmm. I know it sounds ridiculous, sure. but, you know, sure. people yeah. are that so happy. Yeah. They can't take any of your house or anything like that because it's not owned by the LLC. The, the, t- the attorney has to file that, and then you have to file a franchise tax return uh, along with your 1040 because all that gets filed on your 1040, your single member LLC. Now, if you wanted to do an S corp or a corporation because you're making so much money, say you make over 50,000, then the next step I tell people is you might want to consider maybe moving everything into a corporation. And that means doing what we call a sub S it's treated like a corporation, but it's not taxed like a corporation. It's taxed like a partnership where, well, not really. It's it's a K-1. So basically it flows over to your tax return. And you don't have to pay self-employment taxes on the earnings on that uh, S-corp. Um, what you pay self-employment taxes on are your wages because then you become an employee of the company. Whereas as a sole proprietor, you cannot be an employee of a sole proprietor. Those are called draws, and they're basically owner distributions. They cannot be deducted against the earnings of the sole proprietorship. Whereas an S-corporation, you become an employee of the S-corporation. Your wages then now can be deducted by the S-corp, which means that the income goes down. So the only, whereas a sole proprietor, they pay self-employment taxes, which is 15.3%. They pay the self-employment on their earnings, which if you make a 50000 net profit, you're going to pay 15.3% in taxes, plus you're going to pay regular tax on those earnings as well. So, so, and, and self-employment taxes, if you're not familiar with those, what those are is if you're a W-2 employee, your company, you, you pay half of the self-employment, which is 7.65%. That's the Social Security and Medicare you see withheld from your W-2. And the company matches that, and they pay it into the government every month. Whereas a sole proprietor, they have to pay the whole thing. And if you're an S-corp, the company matches that, and they get to deduct 
to. So as you can see, that's a tax planning uh, tool to offset income. It can get pretty complicated when you get up into your corporations and your S-Corps. And when I have newbies, I just tell them on the first year, I'm like, okay, when you see this on paper and we get your tax return all filed, just trust me on this. If we filed it, if we plan correctly, like we were supposed to at the end of the year, then you're going to understand what I was trying to do. And and there's a lot of other stuff that comes with it because now you've got employees You've got to file payroll reports every quarter. You've got to then deposit with EFTPS um, your payroll taxes. So because you are a company and you do have employees then. And so having a good tax professional to help you with that, because I will tell you, this is the first rule I have seen people, companies and small business people get in trouble with the payroll taxes. And the government sees that as stealing if you don't deposit that, and they will come down with all that is hell. They will hire hell and brimstone on employers <laughs> if they're not withholding that and depositing it because they consider you was stealing that from your employees. And they will not. And I have seen a lot of small business people who did not know about payroll taxes and about filing that get in a ton of trouble. I see them get in trouble more over payroll taxes than I do over their regular income tax because they don't know that they've got to file all these forms and W-2s and W-3s and the 940s and the 941s. I mean, it can get super complicated when you have employees. So, and it's very important that you get with a tax professional that can help you and direct you on how to do this, if not letting them do it for you. Yeah, I feel like there's the same pattern. Continue to have a good relationship with a great tax professional. Yes, yes. <laughs> and a lot of times, and I'm going to see this, and this is probably going to put a lot of bad taste in some tax professional's mouth when I say this, but I have seen customer service really go down the tubes with a lot of tax professionals because they get so many clients. They don't have a one-to-one ratio with their clients. Me, my deal is I have very I have a very small handful of clients. I don't take a lot of clients because I want my clients to know that they can call me and text me any time of the day or night, and I can have them answer within 24 hours. And it's mm-hmm. the same way with my bit business. The the customer service I believe in the last 10 or 20 years has really gone by the wayside in helping people. Absolutely. I think people are hungry for knowledge. They want education. They want somebody to help them because they're too busy to think about taxes. They're too busy to think about why they need a certain bit on their horse. They're too busy because they're trying to raise their kids. They're trying to make a living. And in this society and economics right now, everybody's struggling just to do that and keep up. I agree. I mean, even look at... You know, I, I like to use this analogy. You know, my grandfather used to talk about when you would go to the fill-in station, they would come out and they'd wash your windshield and they'd pump up your gas for you. I, I, probably, yes. I probably wasn't even born yet, and I'm 37 years young. Well, I'm 36. I'm going to be 37 this year. I remember when they did that. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm dating myself a little bit. <laughs> and I have said for years, and I live here in the Midwest, if I opened up a, a gas station that came out, filled up your car for you, washed your windshield, aired up your tires, people would pay for premium service now. But there's there's no such thing as customer service anymore. 
Well, you know, you'd be really surprised. You know, when we were in Oregon, you can't pump your own gas. Somebody has to do it for you. And oh, it really? really surprised me and Jason because we were like, what the hell? This one guy come up. I thought Jason was going to have a heart attack right there. He goes, I can pump my own damn gas. And it was so funny because this guy goes, well, you're not supposed to. And he goes, I got this. And he goes, you're not supposed to. It's against the law in Oregon. Really? Yes. And we were like, what? I was like, what happened out there? And he said, pump your own gas because we were all were you know you know we're used to gas stations being open to drive up for gas not the inside all the time well when we were in oregon we were like we couldn't even stop at a convenience store because all of them are closed at nine or ten o'clock why no why now because you can't pump your own gas it's crazy i can't believe that i mean i've never even heard of a law like that in my entire life if somebody's from oregon listening y'all need to comment on this and fill us in well, Heather with Running Wrong Tax, she's from she's from Oregon, and she was mm-hmm. telling us, yeah, and we really don't know something about it was it's an old law that they never took off the books or something. I thought it was like, well, maybe it's because like you know they somebody blew themselves up at the gas station and some <laughs> guy in Congress, you know, because he was using it. his cell phone or something like that, yeah. and there was a spark, and somebody got blown up or something, you know, because somebody always has to die when there's some sort of safety <laughs> regulation. <laughs> so shit went down yeah say if someone is a trainer um Mm -hmm. you know whether if you're charity trainer horse trainer or just the local person that gives 4-h riding lessons um would that be someone more more like a sole proprietorship someone that needs to have an llc kind of go into that a little bit and explain how that would be a solid business well as you well know and, and a, I'm not an attorney, so, you know, this is my limited knowledge on LLCs. You know, people are so happy anymore. And mm-hmm. I will tell you, ha- doing lessons and conducting lessons, especially if you're using your own horses, you do need to have an LLC. And and you do need to have what they call the, um, I have um, my JC bits and my clinics and stuff. I have the same insurance that producers have when they run barrel races so they don't get sued for that that's definitely a thing and 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 hauling other people's horses and dealing with other people's property i think it's never a bad thing to have an llc it protects you and it protects your personal assets like your trucks that are in your name your house that's in your name uh any of your other stuff um your other horses that are in your name because people can Mm -hmm. sue you um you know over stuff and if they can and people sue over anything whether it's the right thing whether they can make you know see here's what people don't understand about lawsuits people sue frizzle frivolously all the time okay the judge may decide that that's not a lawsuit but here's the thing you've got to go hire an attorney to go defend yourself and that costs money and and that's the thing about lawsuits it is is you know, people say, well, you know, I can sue so-and-so. But the problem is, is when they put their money where their mouth is and they go hire an attorney, let me tell you something, them attorneys don't work for free. Mm-hmm. And they don't work for cheap either, most of them. And so if someone who, you know, uh, an owner who have a, has a lot of money, or if you're selling horses, here's another thing. I've had people try to sue me when I sold horses. The thing about it is, is I protect myself. I make sure that I do it by the book. Everything that I know about that horse is told to them immediately. I, I, I take very good documented notes of what I tell my clients. If I'm texting, 
I usually, I never talk to people on the phone mostly. It's on text messaging, the God bless text messaging, because there is a written documentation of it. Mm-hmm. We go to the vet check. They get to pick the vet. I mean, I do it all by the book because people will sue you over horses that they bought because they don't want to accept the responsibility of making a decision monetarily. They get six months down the road. And there are people who have lots of money who will go do an attorney just to make your life hard. I've seen people do that just to be ugly. And the thing about it is, is when somebody puts a lawsuit on you, whether it's right or wrong, whether you, whether it's a frivolous, whether you didn't do anything wrong, guess what? You've got to go hire an attorney to go defend yourself. Why not have your personal assets protected? At what point do you know what you can and can't write off for taxes? So say, for example, going back to my new business that I magically have, my imaginary business, um, you know, I'm wanting to write off some things. You know, there's a, there's a big gray area with write-offs. I know that people have said it's percentages. People have said that it's no, it's the whole thing. Can you talk a little bit about write-offs and how they work pertaining to our industry? The IRS, IRS defines expenses in a business that are ordinary and necessary. Now, those are things like expenses or something that is used up in 12 months. Now, you have your capital assets or your um, fixed assets. Those are like your horse purchases, your truck purchases, your trailer purchases. Those go on a different schedule, and they can be depreciated over time, or they can be taken because of bonus depreciation in one year and expensed altogether. But they're on a different schedule. They're not what I'm considering expenses. You cannot take entertainment expenses, period. That means your um, Sirius XM satellite, your Netflix, anything like that, Prime Video, uh, anything. Anything that's ordinary necessary for you to get that job done is, is you can expense it. Now, when you get into your trucks and your automobiles, you have to be realistic on what you really use it percentage-wise as far as business. I mean, if you drive that truck just strictly for horse business, then that's 100%. But if only about 75% of it is um, used for horse or whatever operation, then you have to claim it like that. So anything that's ordinary necessary. Yeah. Do you buy a new pair of boots? Because the ones you had had holes and those are the only boots that you wear when you ride. Yeah. Well, the thing about it is, is clothing, <laughs> it's it's kind of a gray area. That's another thing. I've had... I've had I've had CPA firms that I've worked for that will let work closing be done. And I've had some, they were like, nope. You know, I'm on the fence. I, you know, if you use it strictly for the business and it's ordinary and necessary, then yes, I think you can deduct it. But if it's not and you're going to be wearing it in town for an activity or something like that, that's probably not ordinary and necessary. So there needs to be a clean definition line, black and white. Yes, there is a clean definition, ordinary and necessary, and you have to be, this is the thing, this is what the IRS, they want you to be consistent and conservative, meaning if you were a reasonable person, and this this is a big deal, if you're a reasonable person, would you think that was okay? And that's what I do is I step back and go, okay, is this ordinary and necessary? Am I being consistent? And is this something that I can be reasonable if... I was within an IRS agent and him and I were sitting on the other side of the table and I told him about this expense, he would agree with me. Yes, that's ordinary and necessary. Yeah, I'd have to say that's probably probably very valid to think about. Um, just kind of wrapping things up a little bit. 
give us a few bullet points that you want your customers to know or even just the listeners to know just some good bullet points on um, some things you want them to take away from this podcast you know going back to the same thing you know get you a good tax professional don't listen to your neighbor if he doesn't file taxes for a living don't listen to him you need to go talk to somebody that knows get with somebody that you feel comfortable with and that you trust that will take care of you that is the main goal right there you know, if you're not sure, you need to ask and be educated and ask someone that knows, that has the background and the knowledge that knows that. So tell us where okay. we can find you on social media. You said you have a tax keeping and accounting Facebook page. Is that correct? Yes. It's called JC Bookkeeping and Tax Services on Facebook. And I think it's on Instagram, too. Oh, wonderful. So if people have it's some It's pretty questions... small, and I keep it that way for a reason, like I said before. So Perfect. Perfect. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Charlotte. Thank you. You can find the Barrel Horse Life podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Be sure to check us out for the latest in all of our new episodes, and I post some pretty good barrel racing memes. Head on over if you're on Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. Hit the subscribe button on Spotify or wherever you're listening. By sharing and tagging us on social media, it really helps others just like you find the podcast. Support for the podcast comes from Draw It Out. You can purchase their complete line of products from LonePrairiePHS.com and from WOCO. To find out if you're a good fit for Jamie's program, check out her website at WHOAA-CO.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you down the road. Thank you.